Well, good, that was a lot of stuff, and it's 12.11. So ah, the problem with this is that I've got like 45 minutes on that paper. Ah. The, 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 the other problem is that your second service. And I don't have anybody to stop me. So if anybody dies and falls out of their chair, we'll resurrect you and we'll keep going. You know, because that's what the Apostle Paul did. That's what we're going to do here. <laughs> you know, so no, I may have to ax some stuff out of there. So forgive me if, if, I, if I stop and, 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 well, I'm not going to ask you to forgive me for praying, but that's probably what I'll be doing is really just trying to discern, okay, what can I, what can I do and what can't I? So at 12.11, understanding that you all are very hungry already and probably somewhat angry at this moment. So, <laughs> so last week we rolled out the very last gift set, Tongues and Interpretation of Tongues, the last gift set in our series. This will, in fact, be the last message, barring some revelation the Lord <laughs> gives me this coming week as I continue to pursue Him for you know, this, the coming direction. But they, as the Apostle Paul rolls those gifts out, I mean, they are initially two different gifts. There's tongues and then there's interpretation. They are separated by a comma, a comma. But as he rolls them out in 1 Corinthians 12, as the gifts that are for the common good, in that moment, they come inextricably linked together. You see, and in that moment, when I, when I link together what would otherwise be a common prayer language, my spirit language, something between me and God, as I merge that together... With the ability to interpret it, it, it morphs into a brand new gift, in essence. It becomes tongues and interpretation, or what I would call a prophetic tongue, right? And God said that if a tongue is going to be able to edify the body, then it has to be interpreted by that body or by someone in the body, and then it becomes a prophecy, right? Remember this from last week. Now, Paul went to crazy lengths to tell us that by itself, the, our prayer language, our spirit language, praying in the spirit, praying in the, whatever you want to call it, it has like 50 different names, but it's all the same thing, that our prayer language is something that's interpreted by God. That man can't actually understand the prayer language. It's his language. It's the, it's the language of angels. It's the language that is spoken in heaven. Your spirit connects with God in that place. It doesn't need an interpretation because you're connecting with God and he's interpreting it just fine. If I was speaking Swahili to someone who that was their mother tongue, it's for them, not you. I don't need to interpret it for you. I'm speaking to them, right? And that's the nature of this prayer language. And, and the Apostle Paul, he, he went to great lengths to separate that out in an effort to prove to us that our prayer language morphs into something new the moment that it's actually interpreted. Again, that becomes a prophetic tongue. Now, I would like to see some more of this happen, actually, in our midst. I would like to see prophetic tongues more often. And to that point, I think more often than not, we actually enter into a prophetic tongue if we're bold enough to even operate in the gift at all. I think oftentimes you'll find that you end up in the middle of maybe praying for someone in the spirit. You don't realize that the English that follows behind your spirit prayer is the interpretation of what you've just prayed. You know, so I think that the gift actually is in operation much more than what we give credit for or we fully understand. And, and trust me, I think there's value in understanding, but on the other hand, I don't really care. You know, because I'm just going to be bold and say yes all the time. And if I can be bold and say yes all the time, then I'll, you know what I mean? Then it's like his will is done because I'm a yes guy. I don't need to figure it all out. But in the name of figuring it out, because I have Ron Pillman here and he needs the answers. <laughs> you know, I, I do believe that, that, that so much of the time, like I, I have actually been in a place where I didn't really know what to pray. I've prayed in the spirit and then all of a sudden I can pray in English. I'm like, I didn't know what to say before, but I sure know what to say now. What happened? 
I believe in many cases I'm actually interpreting what I had just prayed. So anyway, that's just a bit of a side note. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, Paul rolls out the, the most beautiful chapter in the, in the scriptures. Uh, it's something that we'll be getting into in the coming days at God is Love. That'll be our next series that we do here, start, probably starting next week, unless, uh, unless something uh, changes on that. You know, but with this, he puts an emphasis on two types of tongues that we have available to us. And last week, I talked to you about the prophetic tongues. We just reiterate that slightly. That leaves two others, a missionary tongue and a prayer language. I want to talk about both of those today. But listen to what the apostle says in verse 1 of chapter 13. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a claiming symbol. Note the distinction that Paul makes here. If I speak with the tongues of angels, we just talked about this. This is our prayer language. The tongues of angels aren't meant to be interpreted. That's the God language. That's a heavenly language. He's making it clear this is what we're talking about. And we talked about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 last week that he developed that quite well. This is a prayer language. It's meant for my own personal edification. It's not interpreted by man. It's interpreted by God. We call that an, the, the, the tongue of angels, right? And But right next to that, he says, if I speak in the tongues of man. Well, what's Paul talking about? In my mind, there's absolutely no question what he's ruling out is a missionary tongue. You know, the, the, the one hand, we have the, the tongues of angels interpreted by God, but a tongue of man is interpreted by man. Now, a missionary tongue is the manifestation of Holy Spirit on a believer that manifests in a tongue that I don't understand, that the believer doesn't understand, but the person receiving it does understand, not because it's heavenly and they're interpreting it, that's a prophetic tongue, but rather because they're actually hearing it in their own language. I actually, as a missionary tongue, am able to move into a place where I'm literally speaking the local dialect, and they understand it in their dialect, right? I told you last week there were a couple examples of this in Scripture. Acts chapter 2 is the foremost example. I, I want to just dissect this a little bit. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and, and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and, and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the districts of Libya and around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, Chinese and Japanese, we hear them all <laughs> in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. But you have to understand what's actually unfolding here. See, this is unfolded in the context of the Holy Spirit breaking in from heaven for the first time, at least in the New Testament way. See, it says that the Holy Spirit, when he broke into Jerusalem that day, that it came with the sound of violent rushing wind. Have any of you ever been in a hurricane or a tomato? A, in a tomato? <laughs> I've not personally been inside of one, but I've heard it's good. I don't know. There's a little bit of salt in there. It's like we're home. A tornado, tornado or a hurricane. So a few of you. So for those of you who have experienced that, you know what the sound of a violent rushing wind is. You know how incredibly intimidating that that sound can be and how powerful you know, and, and all-encompassing that force can be, right? It says that that's the sound of, the, of, the, of a hurricane, the sound of a tornado, a good Missouri tornado. It says it filled the space in the upper room. It filled the room. 
Now, Jesus said to these guys, hey, go, go wait on, on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to release him some days from now. Look, but can I just submit to you, they had no idea what they were getting into. They had no idea what to actually expect from God and the release of the Holy Spirit. They're there just praying, 120 of them in the upper room, come Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said you were coming, come. And all of a sudden, the sound of the, of the oh, have a wrecking ball. Okay, no, sorry. No, this, <laughs> but that was good. But come on, that was good. The, the sound of the mighty violent tornado comes and it fills the space. I'm going to just submit this to you. These guys were freaking out. <laughs> they were freaking out. You know, I could just imagine them being, picking up and like, like going against the walls because they're like just trying to flee, you know, whatever it is that's coming. They don't have, they can't comprehend what's happening. You know, a number of years ago, in fact, when I was first with my, uh, first bought my house, I was out riding my mower, which is God time. I'm praying in the spirit, just, oh yeah, me and you, Jesus, look at that stripe we just did. Mm-hmm, yeah, this is like, it's great time, two hours on the back of the tractor. And I'm on the back side of my house, the house is kind of over my left shoulder here, and I hear this sound. And I can't comprehend the sound, but it is, it, it's increasingly overwhelming for me. I keep, I keep, I'm on my tractor. The tractor itself is loud. Something is louder than my tractor. You know, and I'm like, what is going on? And it overwhelmed me to the degree that I literally almost fell off the tractor because I could not, I, seriously, I could not comprehend what was actually happening to me. And then I saw the B2. Like, I could touch him. I could see the guy's face as he drinks a Pepe on the way by. It's like, <laughs> Oh my goodness! It was unreal. It like it, it completely overwhelmed my senses. I had just it just it was ridiculous. And I hold you personally responsible for that activity. You know the funny thing is it's never happened before and it's never happened since we've been here seven years. So I think one of you were jacking with us. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. Somebody needs to confess. I'll be in the booth here later on today if you want to come look through the slot. You know, but it, but it, but it's the sense of being absolutely overwhelmed by what you can't understand, you know, and and not being able to fully comprehend what's happening. And then here's the worst part. In the midst of the confusion, the perplexity, the, ah, I don't know what's happening right now. Then then stuff starts catching on fire. Look, you know the senior pastor there, he was like, uh, okay, we got, what do we got here? Is there like EMTs? Who's on the fire duty today? Security team? What, what are we, you know, like the fire extinguishers? Like they don't have a paradigm for understanding what's actually happening right now. Like real fire begins to develop over the top of people. It's like stuff is literally combusting now. So I am completely overwhelmed by the sound of the B2. <laughs> completely overwhelmed. And now stuff is literally setting on fire. Okay, can you just picture this? This is crazy insane. And then out of that environment, they bubble out of this room. And they're all speaking in a language that's not their own. But all of the people by now in the streets who have come for the conference that's in town, all of the people, they began to hear what was happening there. What in the heck is going on in that room? What in the world is that sound that came through? So they're all beginning to gather together. I don't know, 12 or 13 different things, that, or different languages, at least cultures that were represented there. I'm sure there were maybe even more than that. That's just what, you know, what the Bible gives token to. They began to gather around. These guys stumble out and they begin to speak in their own language. And it says they're telling of the mighty deeds of God. I have a few questions about this, and it's a diversion at 1223, but we need to do it. 
This is perhaps the very first uncontrolled, undistracted, unhampered church meeting that has ever happened or that's ever been recorded. Men didn't have a paradigm for it. We didn't know how to lead it. There weren't any administrators present. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, there's chaos. Total chaos. I don't see self-control anywhere in that meeting. And they all start going crazy speaking in another language. First thing is this. Where in all of the text of the Bible does it say that this experience cannot be repeated? Where does it say in all of the scripture that we 2,000 years later can't experience something that looks similar to this in our own church as we've gathered together in unity in his name? Where does it say that? Doesn't. And yet, so many, when they see something even half as cool in the Christian church today, they'll accuse it of several things. Oh, it's all, it's all hype. These people are just crazy. Hype. It's emotionalism. It's emotional. You're just going crazy. Like, I don't know about you, but I get emotional when the Holy Spirit shows up. So call it whatever it is. But when he's here, I'm emotional. It's the only time I'm emotional. Matter of fact, you know, sever my finger. Oh, that's really stinking. I, what am I going to do with four fingers over there? That's terrible. Holy Spirit shows up. <laughs> What's wrong with that guy? I just leave him over there in the corner. I don't know. You know, yeah, I get a little emotional. But it's emotionalism. It's hype. Or worse yet, we'll hear him say, oh, that's just demonic. That's demonic what's happening there. But can I remind you? That's the scripture that I'm reading to you. It says it in there. And if it says it in there, the word actually says that the word was written in days of old to inspire hope in me. Hope for what? I don't know about you, but I hope to God that he does it here. I have a deep longing in me for something, even, even a tenth of what happened there on that day to occur right here. And just like the Apostle Peter, I'll be the guy in the back corner going, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Like, it's scary. It's grandiose. It's bigger than us. But where in, our, where in our thoughts did we think that the God who's bigger than we can ask or think, that's more than we can comprehend, who's 100% spirit and supernatural, that when he breaks into the natural realm, that it would be calm. And like butterflies floating. What? Where have we where, like where have we bought into that idea? So, oh, everything has to be done in decency in order. Tell that the Holy Spirit who just showed up caught everything on fire, like blew up the town. Like you know, say, just saying. The other thing I want to ask is this: you know, do you think that it's possible that the guys in the upper room that day? We're like, whoa, 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 hey, guys, simmer down, simmer down. Look, all things done, decency and order. You need to have some self-control here. Uh, excuse me, uh, just a show of hands. It, can somebody interpret? Is there an interpreter here, please? So, so by the look on your face, I'm assuming that probably didn't happen. <laughs> so you're telling me that in the first you know, unmolested, if I could use that word, and I'm sorry if that's an offensive word, the first unmolested church meeting of all of history, you're saying that the people who were so filled with Holy Spirit didn't stop to make sure there was an interpreter before they bubbled out in another language that wasn't their own? That's odd. 
I think there was more to the story we've been taught. There's more that is possible for right here than what we've comprehended. And it might look a little bit less structured than you think when it happens. I'm just saying. It's the scripture. And we're reading directly from it. And when it was all done and said, they bubbled out of the room, speaking in a language that was not their own, speaking in the tongue of the individuals that was there. It says, the mighty deeds of God. And I think here lies the key for the missionary tongue. Years ago, we had a missionary team come back. We were with YOM Youth with Mission. I don't remember the third world country that they were in. You know, but they were there, and, and they were doing what we call a prayer walk. I mean, how many of you have ever done a prayer walk? We need to do some more of those. We used to do them here. We need to do them again. We need to resurrect that. Deborah, so remind me of that. You know, but a prayer walk, in essence, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's going to a place where you feel like God wants to do something or where you want to see God do something, whatever, and you're, you're walking through that place, and you're discerning God over that, over that place. So we, we walk down Pine Street. We're saying, God, what do you want to do here? You know, what do you want us to pray? What's your heart for this area? What's your heart for Warrensburg? And we're walking and we're praying. Uh, in this case, this missionary team, they were doing a reconnaissance mission to try to figure out what God was saying for this particular nation. They were walking down the street and, uh, and they, were, they were praying in the spirit. So they were walking, they were prayer walking, and they were praying out loud boldly in the spirit. Well, it's pretty common in, in a third world nation, really anywhere outside of America, for little kids to be attracted to foreigners. Right? Especially, especially American foreigners. You know, just of our position in the world, the, people, the, the little ones, they're just attracted, they're enamored, they see it on TV and stuff, they want to be up close and personal. And, and such was the case in this story. This young man, he comes and he's a part of the team, man. You know what I mean? Like, these guys are totally undeterred. They're still continuing to pray out boldly in the spirit. Here's this young man with him. And all of a sudden, the young man gets really excited and he, and he stops this one main guy. He stops him. He starts talking to him. Blah, 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 blah. The guy's like, look, I don't understand. But he just continues to pray out boldly in the spirit. And it became clear that this little kid was not going to be deterred. Like, okay, he's trying to tell us something. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what he's saying, but, but we got to find an interpreter. So they grabbed him. They, they went over to a little shop. They're like, does anybody speak English? Can you interpret for us? They found a guy who could do it. And, and they began to, to interpret for them. The young man was actually hearing them speak in his own language in that nation. <laughs> As they were boldly proclaiming tongues, a missionary tongue, it was interpreted by him in his own language. And so, of course, they grabbed a pen and paper. What were we saying? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was like, you're going to build a school for the kids right over there? They were like, where are we going? okay, all right. <laughs> and you're going to build a hospital, all right? Did he mean location? You know, did he say where the money's coming from? Okay, all right, good. We got, you know, you know, and there were like five or six things on the list. And guess what those missionaries started doing? They got the answer they were looking for divinely. You know, and of course, they began to make preparations for those very things to be built in that nation. Is that phenomenal? What an amazing gift of God this is for us, that we can partner with God in that way. I have other examples, but I'm going to stop there. Awesome. 6, 12, 31. Good. Another 45 minutes, I'll be done. <laughs> I want to talk to you about a major misnomer as it relates to the gift of, of, of tongues. And one is that we believe that the gift of tongues, that if it's going to be God, that it has to be spontaneous and impulsive. So it, what was the word I actually used? Let's look at those notes. That's why they're there, right? 
spontaneous and uncontrollable. We believe it's supposed to be spontaneous and uncontrollable. And, and the problem with that is that there's so many of us who the gift is readily available to who don't speak in tongues because you've been waiting on God to do something sovereignly over you. The problem is that he's been waiting on you just simply to step out in faith. <laughs> you know, so you've been waiting on him. He's been waiting on you the whole time. Let's look at a few scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I fear what we've done with this scripture is that we have, we've relegated the gift of tongues to something that's ineffective. It's like, well, if my mind is unfruitful, and, and, and the Apostle Paul, he's saying, unless it's interpreted, it's not really edifying for the body, well, then I'm just not going to do it. But you have to understand, when he says that the mind is unfruitful, what he's actually suggesting to us is that your, your normal ability to formulate thoughts into words is not present when you're speaking in tongues. Okay. It's something that bubbles out of your spirit. It's a spirit language. You don't understand what you're actually saying. Okay, But your mind doesn't necessarily have to be unfruitful in that. And I think the next two scriptures actually go to prove that point. Verse 15. What is the outcome then, Paul says? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit only, how will the one who is... How is the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? What we have to recognize as we read this is that Paul is suggesting that it is possible for us to use our prayer language, the gift of speaking in tongues, to worship God. He's also saying, let's leave that over there, he's also saying that it's possible for us to actually lay hands and bless someone, to pray over someone in the gift of my prayer language. You understand? But if he's suggesting that that's possible, what he's also telling us is that we have the ability to direct the gift with our own mind and our own thoughts, right? So we're, we've misunderstood the nature of when he says your mind is unfruitful, and we've misunderstood that to mean that we're not a part of what's actually happening. But Paul's saying, look, if I want to enter into worship, if that's my intention to worship God, I can worship God in the Spirit. Like, I'm actually directing the gift. If there's a specific topic that needs prayer, then I can direct the gift towards that topic of prayer. But here's the thing with the gift, our prayer language. Your spirit is connecting with God's spirit, and you have no idea what you're saying. But look, that's the beauty of it, because you're connecting with God, and what's coming out of your spirit in connection with His is His perfect will. You are saying precisely what you need for a topic that you have designated with your own mind. You are praying precisely what is needed for that very moment in perfect accord with His will. Now that makes that gift profoundly important to us in the body of Christ. That's also why this particular gift finds it on the latter side of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28 and Jesus must have list for the body of Christ. It's, we, I believe even in a charismatic church, this gift is so completely underutilized. Because to be honest with you, when the circumstances of life come against me, the very first tool that I should employ is the tool of tongues. 
Because in thy circumstance, if I have the ability, according to Paul, to direct that gift towards my circumstances or towards prayer in that place, then I can pray precisely according to God's will for his will to be done in this situation. But here's the great part of it. The byproduct is that at the same time I'm praying his will be done in this situation precisely according to his heart, I'm also building up myself. Now, how many of you can testify that circumstances at times have overwhelmed you and the result has been that you've become depressed? Or, or the result is of your circumstances that you get angry. See, we can come under our circumstances, but God is saying that I've given you a gift that when you employ, it builds you up and it strengthens your inner man such that you have the ability to resist becoming angry, to resist becoming depressed. And at the same time, you're partnering with me for my will to be done on the earth. That's incredible that God has released something so valuable to us, especially when our charge before him is to be on our knees in the place of prayer. Misty will remember the specifics of this, but so many of the body of Christ, it's a crazy huge percent, I thought like 85 or I don't remember, are clinically depressed. I believe I'm actually getting it crossed. It was 85% of missionaries. 85% of missionaries are clinically depressed. I imagine there's a staggering number or percentage of Christians who are also depressed. But do we understand fully the gift of God that's before us? I'm coming under a place of depression, but God's given me a gift that builds me up from the inside out and allows me in partnership with him to pray his perfect will over my life in this situation. And I think in the employment of this gift, we would find that there were so many more who were there's so many fewer, I should say, who were depressed if we would step into the tools that are readily available to us. The Apostle Paul says, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no in that context. But may I remind you that where you see tongues and interpretation connected, he's talking about a prophetic tongue, something that I haven't seen everyone be able to do. But Mark and the Great Commission says, these signs shall follow those who believe. They will speak in tongues, right? I believe that it's a gift that's absolutely available to everybody. Mark's not suggesting that if you're, uh, that if you, well, that you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. He's simply saying that it is a gift that's available to everybody. The problem is, in many cases, we've been waiting on God but he's simply waiting on us. So may I encourage you with this gift as you guys go home and as you have opportunity with our prayer ministry team to not only ask God for the gift, but not to wait on him to somehow manifest and sovereignly make your tongue do things it couldn't do before, but for you to step into faith when you can't see and trust that the God who said he's the rewarder of those who seek him. The God who said, if you ask for Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you something contrary. Trusting in faith in that place, that a gift that's so profound that's on God's must-have list is also for your must-have list. Is this making sense? All right. I didn't do too bad. It's only 40 minutes. And I only cut out half the stuff. So, <laughs> Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We welcome you in our lives. We welcome 
the release of your gifts in our midst, our gifts at home. Father, gifts that are designed for our empowerment, gifts that are designed for the empowerment of those that are around us. They're tremendous, God. This gift is absolutely tremendous. For those of us who already have a personal prayer language, Father, we ask if, if, it's, you know, if we don't have it yet, we ask for missionary tongues. Give us an opportunity to speak in Hindi. We've got a thousand Indian students at UCM. Open up our tongues. Open up our mind. Release the gift of that God. We just say we'll be bold with that. We ask for the, for the extension of the, of the prophetic tongue. God, we would be bold enough to release a tongue in that way, and it'd be interpreted, and it would be for the edification of the whole body. We ask for that, God. We're not intimidated or afraid of that. It's a gift on your list. We want it, God. And for those fathers who don't have a personal prayer language, we ask for it, God. For those who have been intimidated, who have been in a place of fear that they may misuse or abuse the gift, for those who have been for years waiting upon you to release it to them when you've already released it, the door has already been open, you're just waiting for them, God. Would you put a holy boldness on the inside of them to step through the door that's already open to receive the gift that is so abundantly available for them, God? And we pray that as they... Start singing the funky chicken that you <laughs> bless their brain to realize that you are actually working and that it's not something of their flesh, Father. Would you speak to them in the place of relationship and bring calm to their anxieties in Jesus' name? Amen? Amen. Have a great week.